0: No, I'm not. I'm going to ask you, though, we're going to go into the book of Daniel, chapter number two, and uh, today, if you study in the bulletin, the passage we're going to cover, it's actually the end of chapter two and flows well into chapter three, and uh, we're going to work on that today, but in a few minutes, I'm going to be in Romans chapter one, so if you find Daniel, put your bulletin there, your bookmark, however you do it. By now, it might just open there automatically. Um, but mark the book of Daniel, chapter number 2. Let's go over to the book of Romans, and uh, it'll be right in the middle, verse number 18. We'll get to that in just a minute, okay? I just want to give you a chance to have a head start on that so that when we're ready to talk about that, we're ready. So let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Again, we are privileged, so very privileged, to have a copy of it in our hands right now you have blessed us lord not just with a english version but so many of them so many of them we are really blessed in the uh the number of of uh, scriptures we can carry lord thank you for your kindness to us that is a mark of kindness for there we find the things we need to know to learn, to do, uh, certainly we understand you better, we understand what Christ has done for us, we understand our truly our obligation in our walk with him of how we ought to live. And so Lord, with all these things set before us and this great opportunity right now together to join in the study of this passage today, I pray Lord that you challenge our hearts with it cause us to understand you better, to understand ourselves, to realize what you are doing, and to be in step with your plan. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, our title for our study is Uncompromising, and that's a call for us. That's not only that, but it's also the word I've given for the study of the book of Daniel. Uh, A resolution to follow God regardless of the consequences of living in a pagan world. Trust God regardless. Three simple words. But are they so simple? When we say the phrase, trust God regardless, we are saying something specific. We are saying something important. We, we are some, saying something that's contrary to our world system. In the Reformation era, October 31st, 1517, is the day they mark as the Reformation, the day Martin Luther nailed the thesis to the door of the church. That was 507 years ago, this last Tuesday. And we have several things as a result of that that we would say to this degree that they've been written out that we might understand truth, that we could understand it better. They call it the five solas. You've heard that term before, I'm sure. Uh, Latin terms, sola means only. The five onlys is what I like to call it. And so if I say sola scriptura, you would say that's what? By Scripture alone. Sola Scriptura. If I say sola fide, do you know what that is? By faith alone. Sola gratia. By grace alone. Solas Christas. By Christ alone. Good. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. Those are the five glories that, or the solas that we talk about when we go back to Reformation truth and what was established for us. The last one we just named, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone, is where I want to set a focus today. It's an issue that has is continued even though we know what that means, don't we? Glory to God alone. Do you know what that means? Who gets the glory? God does. We understand that, don't we? We understand that. We believe it too, don't we? Yes. Two of us do. Me and you, right? Yes, we believe that. We certainly do. You know, Satan has tried to wrestle the glory from God from the beginning. We read of that in Scripture, and since he had no initial success, he has planted that within the heart and thinking of mankind, to desire to direct glory away from God and onto anything else. But if it comes on man, we're especially pleased. Romans chapter 1, the passage I asked you to mark, is a very important chapter, and is especially pertinent to our culture today. Keys to a problem are the fact in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures." Jump down to verse 25 and look at it carefully. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We say, shame on them. Shame on them. How could they do such a thing? As if it was a problem of only that generation. As if it was only those kind of people who have done that. Let's just say, as we go to the end of Deuteron- or Daniel, chapter number 2, and go into chapter number 3 of the book of Daniel, and then further we're going to march into Daniel chapter 4, And it will show us that Nebuchadnezzar had an image problem. In Daniel chapter 2, he turns his focus toward the wrong individual. We'll see that today. In Daniel chapter 3, he builds an image to be worshipped. In Daniel chapter 4, he exalts himself. He fits very nicely into Romans chapter (laughs) 1. They say that the only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And with our study in the book of Daniel, especially the end of chapter number 2 here, uh, starting in verse 46, if you go over now where your bookmark would have been, Daniel 2, 46, all the way through chapter 3, verse 7, there's a lot of detail in this. And I'm not going to try to cover all that this morning. The clock won't let me. Uh, But simply to show something that Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to the interpreted dream of chapter number two and his building of a statue in chapter number three for worship seem to be quite related. So I'm gonna read to you from verse 46 on through chapter three, verse number seven. It sounds like an awful lot, but it's, it's truly not. If you're following along in your text, you may say, well, that's not exactly the word I have. I'm just reading from the Legacy Standard Version today, this Legacy Standard Bible. It says, then, verse 46, chapter 2, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and said for them to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is a God of gods and a lord of lords, and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him rule with power over the whole province of Babylon, and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel sought of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubics, that's 90 feet tall, and its width was six cubics, that's nine feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the judges and the magistrates and all the rulers of the provinces to come to a dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the judges and the magistrates and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, set up and they were standing before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly called out, To you it is said, O people, nations, and men of every tongue, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time when the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, sultry, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. I'm going to pull out just a handful of verses there. There There's a lot of information, uh, but let's focus on just a couple. Go back to chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. 46 and 47, we'll start with these two. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and said for them to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings. Uh, and a revealer of mystery since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Now, turn over to chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. That at the time you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the lyre and the trigon and the psaltery and the bagpipe and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. You may say, well, why are you putting these two together? You're going to find this interesting, I'm sure. Nebuchadnezzar had a magnificent dream explained to him. We've spent many, many weeks on that dream, talking about it and its meaning. Daniel, though, made a point in the interpretation that it was not his doing. (laughs) Remember? He emphasized that. If you go back to chapter 2, I'll just point them out for you. Start in verse 27, Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery. About which the king has inquired, neither wise men conjurer, magician nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery and he has made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what will take place in the latter days. He made that emphasis very strongly. In verse number 30, he said, but as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. And also in verse 45 of chapter number 2, he says, Inasmuch as he saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the gold, or the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. He has said... At least three times, if not more, emphasizing, I did not do this. God did. God did it. God did it. God did it. God did it. He did the proper footnoting, didn't he? He marked this very clearly. He gave credit to God alone. That's soli deo, God alone. Nebuchadnezzar's response, you saw it now in verse 46. King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel. You say, okay, what's that? Well, homage, homage, H-O-M-A-G-E. It's a Hebrew word for worship. Scripture makes it clear that we are to worship only God. Worshiping, in the act itself, is acknowledging the source of one's life and breath. Worshiping is bowing down in a visible expression that the one worshipped is greater than the one bowing down. The one worshipping or bowing down is a servant or is dependent upon the one he worships. Daniel made it clear that the dream and the interpretation was God's to give. Nebuchadnezzar ought to have, you could fill it in now, can't you? He ought to have fallen down before the Lord and given homage to the Lord. You may say, but but," chapter 2, verse 47... He acknowledged God, didn't he? He said, the king answered Daniel and said, truly your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Now, I want to walk you back through that verse for a second. The king answered Daniel and said, truly your God is a God. All right, now, he said that and then he goes on to say, and he, And he's also a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. I want to play a game with you just for a second. Let's take the word you and your out of the text and replace it with the one who actually did it, God. And it would read like this. The king answered Daniel and said, truly, God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since he has been able to reveal this mystery. Do you see the change? I have read some of the commentaries that wanted to be very gracious to Daniel here. And they said, well, after all, why would he permit such a scene? If this was a, a, a scene, there is Nebuchadnezzar on his face in front of Daniel. Why didn't Daniel say, hey, get up? Why didn't he do that? We remember, you know, when John fell on his face in front of the angel uh, in the book of Revelation. He just got the whole big book of Revelation revealed to him. And there he goes, plop, in front of the angel. And the angel said, here's Pastor Bob paraphrase, cut it out. Right? Get up! You don't worship me. I'm a creature. You worship God. Only God deserves worship. But some say it hardly would have been proper for Daniel under these circumstances to have interpreted the king, uh, to have interrupted the king with a protest. And it really wasn't Daniel who was being worshipped, but the God who Daniel represented. Now, I'm allowed to let them be a little more gracious in the scene, but I want to show you something, and that's why I read the other text to you too in Daniel chapter 3. Because it said, Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and worshiped, he did homage to Daniel. And then it also says, look at the same verse, back here in chapter two, verse 46, it says he gave orders, New American Standard Version. King James says he commanded, commanded. That's the Hebrew word amar, and that means to say something, to command something, and I want to ask you, does he just say it, or does he command it? Compared to chapter 3, verse number 4, it is the exact same word. And in verse 4, then the herald loudly proclaimed, to you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every moment, when the moment you hear the sound, you fall down and worship. Is Nebuchadnezzar more in the department of saying things or commanding things? You've seen his character already. He's a commander. You know what? This is very interesting because in the same breath of him falling down to worship, he gave commands for what? Back to verse 45. What did he give command? 46, sorry. He gave commands for them to present to Daniel, an offering and a fragrant incense. What do you call that? One word starts with a W. Wild guess? Worship. Worship. Who are them? Them. Those are the ones in the court. Those are the ones who are attendants. Those who are the ones who are present. Probably even the wise men too. All that's present He commanded them to give worship to Daniel. He took an honor, and this is what Dwight Pentecost put in his commentary, he took an honor that normally would have been given to only the gods of Babylon, and he put Daniel in the center of that. And you may say, well, I don't know, really? Generally, I want to ask you something. You might have even tried this before. But, I mean, if you've got those wonderful smelly candles in your house, all right, Christmas time, what are they, gingerbread, uh, pine tree, those kind of things, you got to you know, put those wonderful things. Isn't there a little process to getting them to work, like lighting a match or getting something and setting it up right and all those? Things. Or if you have those little sticks that kind of burn down into the thing or something like that, don't you have to do a little bit of something to do that? It just doesn't happen. Here's the point. If they're burning incense to Daniel, do you think they had it in their back pocket? They just pull it out. Ah, I'm ready. I don't think so. What I'm trying to suggest is there's a little work here to present offerings, to present Fragrances and, and incense, you don't just carry that around with you. Maybe they had to go home and get it. Maybe it was in a storeroom, in the I don't know. But it takes a ceremony here. There's a ritual involved here. There's a process going on of burning incense. They, I googled this just for fun. Incense is widely used in many religious practices to deepen attention to heighten the senses, to lift one's own spirit when practicing meditation. The burning of incense can act as a doorway to spirituality, formal or informal. Recognized religious and scholars say incense is and has been for thousands of years the daily use of many religions in the world, including Hinduism, Buddhism, and even in Christianity. The point is, you don't just happen to start. You plan for it. You do something about it. You don't just walk in and say, Hey, I brought my incense. What's going to happen today? Right? This is not a spontaneous thing. He commanded them to offer sacrifices. This is the word. He offered these these offerings and this incense. So what are you reading? In this Daniel text, now these are... These are not believers in Jehovah. These are not Christians. Okay, the church doesn't exist back then. But these are people who typically worship false gods. And they hear a message from the true God, and rather than turning to worship Him, they turn to worship who? The messenger. They turn to worship The messenger. You know, Paul had a moment like that too in the New Testament, and he said, "Stop!" (laughs) Well, they stopped. They, I think, they stoned him for it. But this is what's happening here. This is really what we call a, a syncretism. What what is happening is where you're blending uh, religious systems together into a new system. You are merging in this scene a worship of God who gave the message with a worship of man who gave the message too. You are putting them in the same worship scenario. Same thing together. What I find very interesting is what... Happens here, the more it goes on, the less there is of God in the worship and the more there is of man. That's generally the trend. If they try to mix it and say, oh, it's okay, it's okay, uh, before long it's a worship of man and not of God. Don't miss what Nebuchadnezzar said. The king answered Dan and said, truly your God is a God of gods and a lord of kings that allows for others and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery see it wasn't purely about god it was about daniel's god go back to chapter 3 for a minute now i'm going to show you a passage we didn't touch on yet but jump all the way down to verse 38 i mean 28 28 and 29. This is after the fiery furnace scene, and look at the words of Nebuchadnezzar again. In verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who have put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielding up their bodies as to not serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I will make a decree that any people, nation or tongue, that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way see what he did again he didn't say the God he said your God your God your God your God that seems to be his trend Uh, he continues that into chapter four and finds out with his appointment with God that he was wrong he had to recognize that there is but one God and chapter four will show that too but this is this is Nebuchadnezzar true to form all the way through What is the issue? What is the problem? What does it mean to trust God regardless? We live in a world, folks, and you know this man gets a lot of attention, man gets a lot of credit. There's a sense, if you will, of man worship in existence right now. It's easy to see how many things are dependent on man for its success. Now, I'll just give a side note, just for a minute, because I'm a big baseball fan. I I love watching baseball. I can do that all the time and enjoy it very much. I've been that way since I was a child. Go Cubs. (laughs) I grew up with that. That's all that was ever on the TV for us. Something happened in this world in the last week that... uh, made new champions. World Series is done. You say, wow, that's the pinnacle of it all. That's the greatest thing, the glory of the championship. But you know the next day it was overshadowed. Because what's the next thing? Free agency. And just as soon as one group is celebrating their winning, the next group is now a bunch of people looking for new contracts and they separate from their teams, and they become free agents, and if you will, they're put up for auction. The team with the highest amount of dollars will bring in certain individuals to help their team to be the champions next year. It's a process that started the day after, and it continues all the way until February. It's big news. And as you watch all that, you realize that they're paying A lot of money. Have you ever seen their salaries? It's like, oh, When you see that kind of a number next to their name? Here is a person that you don't know if he's going to stay with your team for one year or two years or maybe three years. You don't know if he's going to go out in the first inning and blow out his elbow and be gone the rest of the year. You don't know if he will make it one game or if he will make it the whole year. The investment in all that is just fascinating to me because it's an interesting picture of humanity. It's a picture of humanity where we turn our attention to the creature and what the creature, man, can do. Folks, man is a vapor. Do you realize that? Man is a vapor. Our time is so short. Man is sinful. Are you surprised? Probably not. That's scripture. That's truth. Man is sinful. Man is lost and in need of a savior. Man who has gifts and talents, but where did he get them? From God. Man who has life and breath, where did he get it? From God. Man who is made up of muscle and skin and bones that weaken, that wrinkles, that breaks, disease, old age. Nobody likes to talk about that, but it's there. The psalmist asked, what is man that you're mindful of him? You want a glimpse in the mirror? Read Ecclesiastes, and you're going to find out one word sums it all up, vanity. Vanity. Isn't that an interesting word? That's the name we call that thing in your bathroom that has a mirror on it? That's the thing that makes us do what we do? in promoting our looks or whatever, the vanity side of it. Vanity is wanting credit, wanting to be honored, wanting to be focused on, wanting to be the center of it all. Vanity is also the Hebrew word for empty. It's empty. It has no value because here's the point. The guy who hit the most home runs this year will be replaced by somebody next year who hits more. That's how fast glory goes away. We have that picture all around us. And I want to ask you this. Who do you trust? You may say, well, that's not related. Oh, yes, it is. Because the one you trust is the one you credit with the things you have and the things you rely upon. That's called trust. I trust the Lord because he's given me everything. My life, my spiritual life. My eternal life, he's given me all that. I didn't earn it. I didn't make it. I didn't cause it. I didn't even look for it. He looked for me. I give him the credit for it all. And today, he's the only one that keeps it. Because I can't, I can't do enough to maintain that precious gift he's given to me. What's amazing is he's not only given me, so to speak, the car, but he gives me the gas to run it every day. Spiritual life, he's given that to me, and he gives me what it takes to live for this day, and then tomorrow he'll give me what it takes for the next day, and on and on and on it goes. Who do I trust? I trust the one who gave me all this. And who am I? You want a good example of who you and I are? When you leave church today, reach down and grab a handful of good Oklahoma dirt and look at it, and remember Genesis chapter number 2. What did God do? He made man out of dirt, dust. Boy, that brings it into perspective, doesn't it? Who are we? Who are we, man? Who are we that we should be worshipped, that we should be in the center of it all? That we should give this kind of attention to other men and say they deserve more honor, more respect, more more this, more that. Who do you worship? That's the question. Who do you worship? The God of somebody else's? Do Do you say, I worship the God of my grandmother? I worship the God of my uncle. I worship the God of my neighbor. Is he your God or is he their God? Who does he belong to? Matter of fact, let me add another question to that. Do you worship a God or the God? Now, we could have fun here, because if Drew was here, he had to go to work. But if Drew was here, we'd talk about the definite article, and he gets really worked up over that one. Some of you in Sunday school class know it. The. The. You know what I find very interesting? i got an extra minute. I'll tell you. I, I find this very interesting. I teach Greek. I've been teaching Greek for a long time. Edition number three had a chapter on definite article. The. A whole chapter of the, can you imagine it? The, of all things. But that whole chapter was there. The modern Greek teachers in Biblical circles today have taken out the word definite. And they say, the article. And I said, why did you take out the word definite? Think about it. In our culture today, do we, in our culture, see them acknowledging the God? You know what it means to say the in front of it? I'll tell you. This is what a definite article is. It's not a filler word just because they need more words on the page. So they put the in front of everything. It is saying definite. It is saying specific God. A precise God. An exact god an absolute god that's what the says we don't worship a god we worship the god there's a difference there's a big difference so when we trust and that's what my question is today who are you trusting when i say trust god regardless should we put the the in there Trust the God, regardless. You know, that would change your whole perspective on it. When you realize, he's God and we're not. He's God. No one else. He's God. He's God. Trust him. That's what uncompromising starts to look like. When you live in a world today when all religions are being mixed together in one pot and saying, everybody's the same, it's okay. Let's coexist. All right? Where they're taking the the out of the name and saying, it's a God. Among other gods, it's okay. I don't think God says it's okay. What did we read in Romans? His wrath from heaven is revealed against men who changed the image of the invisible God into an image of man or four-footed animals or flying birds we've done that that's the world and as God looks down upon it is he going to find somebody down here who says I worship the God that's the question for each of our hearts today all right let's have a word of prayer Heavenly Father this text before us here is it's really somewhat alarming because we find ourselves standing right there in the courtroom, too. It's a courtroom of acknowledging you. Who are you? Are you our God, the God, or a God, the God of somebody else? Who do we worship? Who's the center of our focus? Have we turned it toward people? Have we been putting our attention on people rather than on you, Lord? Have we focused on man or some other other thing rather than you? When we say we trust you, Lord, is it you that we trust? Or have we deceived ourselves? Lord, you know how to work inside our hearts right now. Show us where we stand with you. If there's something that needs to be dealt with today in our hearts, make it evident that we may make this right before your throne. That we may say, Lord, I have walked away from the truth. I have not been acknowledging you as the God. And maybe, Lord, we'll start fresh today. We'll start from this place and move forward and say, okay, I get it being uncompromising in our world is not even to follow the way they think and the way they worship. Draw us to yourself, Lord, in this way. And if there's somebody be among us today that doesn't even know you, doesn't know you as God, remind them, Lord, if they've never heard it before, tell them that you love them so much you sent your Son who died on a cross to pay for our sins. Literally, he paid for my sins. and He paid for theirs, too. And by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. If there's anybody that needs that message today, Lord, impress it upon them right now, for the Holy Spirit can do that. But for those of us who acknowledge you as our Savior, let us see you also as our God and worship you accordingly. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. After we have finished singing,